So we've been doing a fun thing the past few weeks in this kind of mini-series in our bigger series, right, where we have our Hope Kids with us the month of July, and we're trying to give you tangible things to hang on to as you are engaged in worship with us, learning kind of the, the form of worship and what we do while you're down in your kids' church time and all of that. And so one of the things we've done the past two weeks is I've challenged you to count how many times I say Sabbath during the series. And as I mentioned last week, I was amazed at how many kids— and adults counted how many times I said Sabbath. The first week, uh, it was high 40s. Last week, it was mid-70s. And today is our last day focus on the Sabbath. So not counting the ones I've said, starting now, I would love for you to count how many times during this message do I say Sabbath? That's your first one. I also heard there was some hitting of knees and thighs and stuff to make sure people got them. Just uh, be gentle in your hits, okay? Your Sabbath, yeah, okay. All right. I can't wait to hear the total afterward. Um, and if you want, don't bet, but the over-under set at 45. Okay. Now, I want to invite you in to a glimpse of the Sanders household during Sabbath. You ready? <laughs> You're wise. So evening time comes around. We start our Sabbath in the evening, and we prepare with, with a meal, and so we always light a candle, and we light this candle, and then, of course, our three kids, two, uh, excuse me, three, five, and seven, they all recite a favorite Bible passage, and we eat this wonderful meal together, and the kids, they all take turns letting one another share, and they say, no, 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 darling Daisy, you go now, and you talk, and I can wait. And then we finish, uh, you know, they clean their plates after having seconds of vegetables, and it's an amazing thing. And, and we finish with a delightful treat, right? Not at all high in calories. And then we have family movie night, and it's a wholesome movie, of course. They all put themselves to bed. <laughs> they let mom and dad sleep in the next morning. They even cook us breakfast. They set our Bibles out in the chair outside while they go inside and they write poetry about how much they love their parents. <laughs> it is a truly restful day, a set-apart day, with no screaming or crying to be found in kids or adults, is what I would like to tell you our Sabbath experience has been like so far. But no, not at all. That is not a realistic picture at all. Join me in reality for a moment. It's nighttime, uh, evening time. We didn't have really time to make a dinner because we were preparing for Sabbath kind of all day, trying to get all our cleaning done, all of that. It was kind of frantic, so we grabbed some takeout. But then when you get home, you realize you have to throw the takeout onto plates and try and supplement it with healthy things for the kids so the food's usually a, a little bit cold. We do light a candle, and we say, we ask the kids when we light the candle, kids, what do we say? Miles, what do we say when we light the candle? don't want to be put on the spot. I don't blame you. We say Christ is light. And when we say that, then naturally one of them asks, oh, is it Shabbat Shalom? That's what we call Sabbath in our house. We say yes. And one of them starts singing the song we know, Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom. Those are the only words. And uh, yeah, so it keeps going for a while and they clap and all of that to which another, you know, starts to join in all of that. By the end of the meal, two out of the five have eaten most of their food. That's Meg and I, in case 
you wanted to know. We have the normal chaos of mealtime, which if you want to be thankful that you don't have kids or your kids are older, come on over during mealtime. We love them, but chaos during mealtime. We do have family movie night, and then Meg makes this cookie. Let me tell you. Oh, man, I, meant, I have a picture of it. Catch me after service. I need to show you this. It is the most unhealthy thing you'll ever see. It is a cookie with ice cream on top and whipped cream on top and chocolate and caramel sauce on top, and the serving is not modest by any means. That's mine. I don't know what yours was like. I was too focused eating my goodie. The kids, we let them finish the movie, so they go to bed really late. And, of course, uh, you know, that is just, they're already tired, so it takes a very long time. Meg and I, our phones are in a drawer. We put our devices away during this time, so we're not distracted. So we sit there, and we settle in, and we start to read. And we last maybe 10 minutes, because we fall asleep, because we recognize how exhausted we actually are when we're not numbing ourselves with something else. Of course, uh, more often than not, in our experience so far, a kid will wake up in the night, and so you think the nighttime will be peaceful. Oh, no, it's not. Two weeks ago, or last week, uh, Saturday morning was Crosby's birthday. He woke up at 1230, and he said, can I get up now? I said, absolutely not. I know it's your birthday, but you need to go to sleep, right? So we, we work through that. One of us, Meg or I, will sleep in, usually me, and because Meg's a better person than I am, and she will take care of the kids, and, but the other will wake up inevitably to the noise. Again, the kids are exhausted because when they go to bed late, they do not wake up late. That's not a thing. We try to engage in a more restful posture, but we still have to parent our kids. So it looks kind of like it does during the week, except Meg and I have our bathrobes on and their candles lit. <laughs> We're also not doing chores. We're also not checking our email or doing work. So that's a little bit different, too. We try to do special, meaningful things with our children, but it's always a challenge. And so far, I think we're batting a thousand that Daisy will skip her nap on that day. That's a glimpse into what it looks like. Now, it's much messier. It is not exactly restful. It's not completely worshipful. It's certainly not close to ideal. But it is a great deal better than a non-Sabbath day. And we are only a few weeks into our commitment of figuring this out. Our Sabbath practice in every sense is a work in progress. But a work in progress is better than one not experienced at all. As I mentioned, we are in the midst of our summer series, Summer Break, where we're in our third week focusing on the Sabbath, where we long to experience the rest that Jesus offers and promises to all who are weary and burdened. He says, come to me. If you weren't here for the, one of the last two messages on Sabbath, I highly encourage you to go back and listen. There'll be a lot of meat that you will be benefited from in hearing about what the Sabbath truly is and what is the command of Sabbath and do we need to practice it, all those kind of things. You can find information on how to access those in your bulletin, uh, which we know you do read every word. Right, Allison? Yeah. So Meg and I were feeling weary. We were feeling burdened, and we finally came to believe that the Sabbath is a primary missing piece in our own family's rhythm. So we have begun this practice. 
And today it is my hope and prayer that you will feel somewhat equipped and somewhat encouraged to engage in this life-giving and life-changing way of Jesus. We're going to open now God's Word because that is where we get the best guide for our life. It is the very true Word of God that comes and meets us here and now. So if you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn to Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58. And as you're turning to Isaiah 58, a little context. This is in the midst of God expressing the shallow worship of his people. And then in the midst of instructing his people and and exposing the shallow worship of his people, he gives this instruction on the Sabbath. So we're in Isaiah 58, verses 13 through 14. Hear now the word of the Lord. Keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests on that day, but enjoy the Sabbath and speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. Honor the Sabbath in everything you do on that day and don't follow your own desires or talk idly. Then the Lord will be your delight. I will give you great honor and satisfy you with the inheritance I promised to your ancestor Jacob. I, the Lord, have spoken. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Now you, if you've been around here for a while, you have likely heard me refer to Sunday mornings, say that when we gather and worship, we are recalibrated to the way of God. We, are, we set our compass back to true north, to the way he created us to be. We're built up. We are challenged. We are inspired to enter the week reminded of who God is, who we are in Christ, and what he sends us out to do. That happens each and every time we gather in this place. But we also know our faith is not a one-hour-a-week practice. It is our very way of life. Now this, right now, this message, you've heard me say, I view this as our halftime speech. There's a week behind, there's a week ahead, you maybe got beat up, you maybe missed out on what you were supposed to do, you maybe forgot some things, but we got another half to play in the week ahead, so let's be reminded of what is true, who our God is, what he's called you to do, and what he has gifted you to do, what you were created to do. But the Sabbath is how we take what we know is true here in this place in worship and we bring it home. If you've ever done any reading or learnings on habits, there's a lot of books out there right now that have gotten a lot of traction. Atomic Habits is one by James Clear. Another is The Power of Habit. I think that's Charles Duhigg, I think is his name. Um, We gave out a book to families last summer called Habits of the Household. As you learn about habits and these things that form kind of our days, you'll hear about this thing called a keystone habit. Keystone habit, quickly, is the one thing, if you get this habit right, a lot of other important things start to fall into place. Worship, and indeed the Sabbath, is absolutely a keystone habit for a follower of Jesus Christ. For instance, the the Sabbath, it is not just a day. To practice the Sabbath changes how we move through every single day of the week. It is indeed a way of life. 
to practice the day is not to reorient one day. It's to reorient our lives back to God. We know it's a matter of priorities. If you're going to set apart an entire day to be holy unto the Lord, then you are clearly putting a line in the sand saying, this is a priority for me and my household. This day is the priority of the week. Meaning, what, you guys know how priorities work. Whatever is the highest priority, you make sure that is done and everything else on your list must orient around that thing. Your schedule orients around that thing. So what would your week look like if Sabbath became a priority? And as we'll talk about, Sabbath is different. It is part of, but different than what we're doing here and now. What would your week look like if Sabbath became a priority? What changes would have to be made? What calls would have to be made? What things would you have to give up? What would you have to carve out if Sabbath became a priority? Because practicing the Sabbath means living the entire week differently. If you set one day aside, you move through the other six in preparation. For those who have been married, it's like that week of your wedding day. You guys will find out. <laughs> that week of your wedding day, everything orients around that day. Or if you're a student, it's that week of that important final exam. You know everything you do leading up to that day matters just as much as that day itself. No matter how old you are, no matter what phase of life you are in, the Sabbath is woven into the fabric of creation as a gift from God for you. That means whether you are retired or you are working many hours, whether you are single or have an enormous family, Dylan's, then the Sabbath is for you. Maybe especially for you with all your kids. But taking in the wisdom of God's word now from our passage in Isaiah, we're going to break this down a little bit to help, help this settle in deep to our being. And so God first says in our passage today, keep the Sabbath day holy. Don't pursue your own interests. I have so many interests. I got to a point about a year and a half ago where I said, I have too many hobbies. That for one, I can't enjoy those things enough, and I get like, I start to feel bad I can't do them, and then I'm doing them instead of more important things in my life. That's a problem. What I've had to come to learn is that there are indeed six other days to pursue my own interests, as long as I get my responsibilities done, but there is one day to set apart for the Lord, to set things aside, to set all of our work aside. As we've talked about, it is to practice the Sabbath is an incredible act of surrender. It's an act of trust. You, you can't set an entire day apart unless you believe that God is capable of taking care of you by setting those things aside. It's like every time we sacrifice anything to God, be it our, our, our finances or our time or anything, we give this day to God, trusting it to his capable hands, trusting that he can do so much more with what we release than what we hold on to. So we will keep the Sabbath day not by pursuing our own interests, but we may also enjoy the Sabbath. 
We talked quite a bit about this last week, and Allison did a great job bringing it up in her two-minute Tuesday about the Sabbath is not meant to be oppressive. It is meant to free us into the things that matter, the goodness that God has in store for us. The Sabbath is a weekly opportunity to more fully enter into our union with Christ. And when we are more unified with Christ, we ought to be filled with deep delight to enjoy the Sabbath. God created us. God created you uniquely beautiful. And he has made you wonderfully different from the person next to you. And he has filled you with a passion and and such unique gifts that are yours alone. And within that, he has gifted you with unique ways to enjoy God as you draw closer to him. You guys have heard us say that. I've, uh, my, my dad loves to fish, and one of the things he loves to do when he fishes is being out in the calm of the lake and the beauty of creation. He says, well, he used to say, I don't know if you'll say it now or not, he feels closer to God there than in the pews on a Sunday morning. I don't want to ask you how close you feel now because that's personal, right? But there's something true to that. He has been created to love God's creation in that beautiful way. Some of you feel close to God as you walk through the woods and you hear the, the chirps and the, the sun breaking through the trees. And others of you, it's when you are in the garden and you're getting your hands dirty, tending the earth in a creative, beautiful way. Others of you, it's when you sit down with that, that paintbrush and a blank canvas and you're reminded of our creator God as you create beauty out of nothing. Or for me, when I sit there and I carve these little guys, remembering that God has carved each of us intimately and uniquely. He knows every little thing about us, and He is our Creator. Whatever it is, it could be sitting down with iced tea and a book filled with beautiful words that draw you in again to the goodness of God. Whatever it is, there is some way God has created you to enjoy Him in a beautiful, restorative way. Think of those restful things that awaken you to God. Because there is rest that is restorative, and then there's the false rest that is simply numbing. And that, my friends, is the primary way us here, especially in America, rest. In fact, if you would take, uh, I talked about last Sunday, I kind of gave us a sense of what a normal Sunday morning is like, right? And it was a parody, but a lot of you were like, where are the cameras in my house that you knew that's exactly what our Sunday morning is like, right? I don't have cameras in any of your houses. Just need to say that. But... The reality is that what we often think of as a restful Sunday, when we go to church and then we go through the chaos that normal life brings, uh, I can't, Eugene Peterson had a very um, uh, uh, illustrative way to describe it. I can't say that, especially because kids are present, but it was, he calls it an illegitimate Sabbath, okay? And so an illegitimate Sabbath, it misses out on what the heart of it is. And if you think of rest, there is a false rest that is simply numbing. No amount of TV watching, no amount of video gaming, no amount of social media, no amount of news scrolling, or any other form of escapism will restore you and give you true rest. There are six other days 
for you to engage in those things in a healthy way that is of a benefit to you, if that's how you're so wired. But for many or all of us, especially those in their 60s and under, Sabbath would mean putting our phones away, of weekly engaging in a digital detox. Because the Sabbath is our opportunity to enjoy the life-giving gifts God has given us, not to just have a day of numbness. And God goes on, honor the Sabbath and everything you do on that day. What comes to mind as we hear that for me is, yes, we need to set aside certain tasks to not work, to not labor, or any of those things. But it's not just tasks that we set apart. He says everything you do, which makes me think even the worries and the thoughts that stand in our way, we cease or we hand over to God. Now, I've heard one pastor say that he and his wife try not to talk about sad things on the Sabbath. I heard another pastor say that, that they use the sacred space of Sabbath to engage with their grief. I personally believe that both are likely appropriate in certain times, and I trust you to be wise enough to know what you need on any given Sabbath. But here's some wisdom. If you cannot, if you find you cannot lay them down, you know how your thoughts are just swirling, and they're not going anywhere, and they're just staying within there. Do what God instructs us to do, to cast your cares on the God who cares deeply for you. And, and as you do that, he says, don't be anxious over anything, but pray over everything. Meaning, sit in that time where you have extra time to pray and continue to go through it and hand it to God and hand it to God and hand it to God. Pray long enough until you get a sliver of the gratitude that is always present when we bask in the presence of our God. The grief may not fully go away, but God will meet you in that grief. And that is the good news. And he goes on, speak of it with delight as the Lord's holy day. In other words, if it's God's day, God has set the agenda for your Sabbath day. He has perfectly curated it for you. He has a perfect idea in mind of what you ought to do on that day. So for us, it is our goal to release our own plans so that we might rest in his. It's his holy day. He invites us. Think of the most significant relationship you have. It might be a friendship. It might be a sibling. It might be a spouse. It might be a parent or a child. What is the greatest gift with that person but uninterrupted and unrushed time together? That's what God desires from each and every one of us. He longs for our uninterrupted and our unrushed time present to him who is always present to us. And when we do that, just as we do with those close to us, we are filled with such unspeakable delight. And yes, it is the Lord's day. He has the agenda. Have you ever gone on a vacation where everything has already been planned? Like, and you just have to show up? 
and they tell you where to go to eat and they tell you where to go for your trip and they take care of all the plans. It's the best. You don't worry about anything. That's what this day is like. We trust that God has the agenda for us. We simply show up and say, okay, God, what's on the agenda today? And be open to being surprised. Because as hard as submission and surrender is for us humans, when we submit to God, our obedience will lead to unexpected joy. His word says he leads us by still waters. He restores our souls. A couple weeks back, as Meg and I and our family are engaging and trying to figure out this process, I did something I never thought I'd do I started reading a biography. <laughs> if you've been around, you know my, my fun reading. I really enjoy these very dense, epic fantasy novels, right? And if it has 10 books in the series, then it's just barely long enough, right? But I said, all right, God. I, I grabbed my stack of, like, spiritual books. And within those, I had a book I've had for a couple of years I haven't read yet. It was a biography on Eugene Peterson, whether you like the message uh, paraphrase or not, I think he is a fascinating pastor to study and to learn from. And as I opened his biography, I was deeply enriched. And, and so I was surprised by where God led me. He led me by still waters. And even in that time, through reading a biography for a little bit, he restored my soul. I wonder how God might surprise and delight you as you seek him on the Sabbath. Because he goes on to say, then the Lord will be your delight. Isn't that the desires of our hearts? When we wade through all the stuff that builds up and push it out of the way, at the very heart of it, the created longs for the creator. And when we get closer to him, we delight. It is in the fabric of our being to worship and delight in the presence of the one who formed us. And I will give you great honor and satisfy you with the inheritance I promised to your ancestor Jacob. I, the Lord, have spoken. What we gain in honoring the Sabbath is so much greater than any earthly thing we set aside to make it happen. We get so confused and distracted in what actually matters as we live our day-to-day -day lives. This is our reminder to put on our kingdom glasses to see things from God's kingdom perspective on what truly and actually matters in this breath of a life we live. And when we do so, he will give us great honor the promised rest that came to those in the Old Covenant you read about in the Old Testament, it is the greater rest that he then later promised and that was later fulfilled in Jesus Christ in the New Covenant. Our inheritance is given to us by God's Son who took our sin and buried it. He washed us white as snow so that when we die, we might live and experience the promise and perfect rest that is forever with him. True rest, 
soul rest is placing our soul in the hands of the one who formed us. When you read the Old Testament and you follow the story of God's people, the entire account throughout all the Old Testament, God continues to give them a covenantal promise. And each one of those promises is essentially a promise for a perfect rest. And Jesus came and fulfilled that promise. And we have access to engage and come commune with Jesus in that perfect rest as a slice of heaven here on earth. So in the question of desire, we've asked it each week in the Sabbath focus, do you feel yourself being tugged ever closer to a longing for this intentional rest with your Savior? Can you feel it? Do you have that longing? Do not suppress it, but lean in. Lean in. And as we prepare to kind of wrap up and give you a few tangible things you are to practice on, you likely have a couple more questions. The best thing you can do in your longing is to to continue to lean in and learn. I don't want to give you the whole list now. I have several resources I'm going to send to you this week on how you can deeper study the Sabbath and engage and find how to engage with this on your own. Uh, That's my encouragement for you. But for one question you may have is, when is the Sabbath? When is it? When is it? I heard that in the Bible, the Jewish tradition was it was Saturday, but now it might be Sunday and all of this. Now, we know biblically worship is indeed Sunday. It is a a weekly reminder, a remembrance, and a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which we know was on a Sunday. Every time we gather, we are reminded again and we're partaking again in the resurrection of Christ. That is on a Sunday. But the actual day of Sabbath, there's some dispute, right? Does it have to be on Sunday? Is it not the Sabbath if it's not Sunday? And historically, it was usually uh, a few minutes um, before sundown to sundown, okay? As I've looked into this, there's a lot of differing opinions. You're going to come to your own on if it needs to be Sunday or not. My sense is that the whole of the biblical story seems to emphasize the purpose of the Sabbath rather than the specific rules for observing it. Indeed, Jesus even spoke rather harshly against a rigid rule of the law that stood opposed to the spirit of the Sabbath, as we talked about last week. For instance, I'm a pastor. Sunday is joy-filled. It is so wonderful gathering together with you, doing the thing we're created to do. But it's also work for me right? So how is this going to be Sabbath if I'm also pouring so much myself out and all that? That's a a thing, because if you catch me at about 12.05 or 1.05 after the kids go down for their rest time, I'm a zombie at home. It's hard to have meaningful rest there. So what does that look like? I wonder if the focus instead isn't so much on the day, but the rhythm. Six days you will labor, and one day you shall rest. Six days you shall labor, one to rest. For many people, that's five days of actual work, one day of your house and your yard stuff, and then one day that where you rest. See, it's different than what Bi- the Bible says is the Lord's Day or Resurrection Sunday. They are included, but they are somewhat separate. 
We are called to gather every Sunday to worship. You can see that in Acts 27, 1 Corinthians 16, 2, Revelation 1, 10. It goes out. Sunday is the time to worship, and worship is a part of the Sabbath. For most of us, realistically, your day of rest will be Sunday. But we also know that our schedules are crazy. So as I said, we practice ours Friday night, evening, to Saturday evening. And then I like to actually think of it as almost all the way through Sunday morning where we get to culmination of it here. Your schedule also may shift when at all possible. Seek to keep it consistent. When it's not, you'll be altering that built-in six and one. You may go more days than six days and you will be needing that rest. But when you're able to, when it's in your own power, keep it consistent. If you can't, do your best because grace abounds through it all. So a few starting pointers to bring it home, to get very tangible. Cease what you define as work what you define as work. That means for most of you, it's your actual work. It's your cleaning of the house. Some, it might even be doing dishes. Get this, uh, Pastor John Mark Comer, who wrote The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, many of you are reading through. Him and his wife have a, uh, a battle each Sabbath, which isn't good, right? <laughs> but, but he believes there should be no dishwashing on the Sabbath because who likes washing dishes? That draws me away from God's presence, all that. But for his wife, stacks of dishes piling up draws her— she, it's a very hard to be in a spiritual place as that happens. So they compromise. They have an enormous sink. They call it their Sabbath sink, and they can go in the sink so you can't see them. But that's something that you at your household have to decide. We do dishes at our house because Meg would never be able to rest if we didn't do them, right? That's just, that's, that's a reality. So what is work and cease doing it? Lay it down. What else? Consider marking a beginning and an end. I mentioned we light a candle to start and we have some kind of feast as a set-apart time. This is now set-apart new time that we have here. And think of some way to end it in that way. I recommend finding time for solitude but also community. Sabbath does not mean you go away on your own the entire day. Uh, If you have a family, they won't appreciate you going away the entire day every single week. It's not going to fly. You engage together. Find times for that solitude. Also find time for community. Schedule the day. Put it on your calendars, but don't plan the day. It's God's day. Let him set the agenda. And set things that will mark it as a set-aside time. I mentioned uh, devices or any screens. I think that's crucial. Um, I would also recommend not buying or shopping uh, to give that a rest. Remember, our Sabbath is also an act of resistance. So we resist our draw towards consumerism by resisting buying and shopping, if at all possible, on the day. I also mentioned my love of wearing a robe on the Sabbath. And I definitely recommend you try it. If you're not a row person, I think you're not a row person yet. If you're not a candle person, try lighting candles, things that set the time and space away. I've also heard it said that there's no dieting on the Sabbath. <laughs> Feast, enjoy, don't overindulge, but enjoy. Obviously, if you diet for health concerns and all of that, please be wise. Uh, but food is a big part of your Sabbath practice. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy the good gifts that God has given us. And certainly, certainly worship. 
Now, when we say worship, that doesn't mean you are singing songs 24 hours a day. That'd be beautiful, but worship takes many avenues. Set it apart. Turn your heart back to God in different ways. Try and set it apart to be a more worshipful day. You know how God has wired you to worship, so engage in that way. And again, grace over it all. This isn't a, I missed one, so I'm done. I'm, I'm a failure, any of that. No. Grace abounds for you in this space as you seek to engage. Because the sacrifice is always worth it. Because when we miss out on some earthly delights, we will gain something so much richer and life-giving. We will gain the very delight of heaven itself here on earth. Once we engage with this practice, the sacrifice indeed will no longer seem so big, and the gifts will seem all that much grander. So don't try and have it figure it out when you start. Simply start. Simply start. Begin. Schedule your starting day. If you have a very rigid schedule, you might have to go as far out as four months to schedule it. I don't care. Schedule it. You might be able to schedule it this coming week or this month. Schedule it and start to prepare for what that day may look like and commit to figuring it out. I promise you it will absolutely get worse before it gets better, but stick with it. Stick with it. Detox is never fun, but it is absolutely necessary. With all disciplines, you get what you put in. So stick with it. And perhaps a helpful, helpful practice is to also name your pitfalls. What's your longing? Are you so driven with work that you know not checking email is going to be the major pitfall for you? Find a way to gracefully engage and let go. Talk with those in your Sabbath community. Is it TV? Is it buying things? Whatever it is, name your pitfalls. Be honest and gentle with yourself. Finally, just try something. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Just try something. You can't, can't do a whole day. Do a half a day. Do more than what you're doing now and work up to that day. That's my encouragement. And then finally, consider a Sabbath community. If, it's in your, if you have a family, consider using it with them. If not, talk with friends, someone you check in with, someone to encourage, someone to talk about what's working, what's not. All that to say, the things that matter are worth doing poorly until we figure it out. As you engage regularly, you will adjust and find what works well. And the final reminder, all of this, all of this is to draw us closer to Jesus. Because if we are not intentionally moving toward Jesus, then we are drifting away. When it gets hard, remember the Old Testament, God's people in exile. They were on the way to the promised rest of the promised land, and they desired to go back to oppression and slavery in Egypt. Because though it was hard, it was familiar. You know the way of this world and its familiarity and how hard it is. And you may come to find engaging with the Sabbath is a bit challenging. But the encouragement is do not go back to Egypt. We have been set free. There is no hope in the way of the world. Our hope is only found in Jesus Christ who gives us a living hope. Stick with it. Stick with God and you will find his grace will meet you in that place. 
because his invitation has come out to each and every one of you who are weary and who are burdened. So may we all come to Jesus, for only in Jesus may you find rest for your souls. May it be so for each of us here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you have given us this greatest of gifts in following the way of Jesus through engaging with the Sabbath. And Lord, for most of us, it was a completely foreign idea or a twisted idea. And yet, what a clear weapon against the way of this world you have gifted us. So Lord, I pray even now that in your grace and in your wisdom, you provide each of us with a tangible next step of how to draw closer to you in this way. We thank you, Lord, that in you alone we have our freedom. and you alone we have our life. and you alone we will find our way. And so, God, we approach you with gratitude on our hearts. We approach you with a longing for clarity of what really, truly matters in this short life. We approach you longing to be more like you and then to worship you and to be sent out by you and to return again to worship you where we can say thank you for who you are. Continue to stir in our hearts this morning, God. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand? Why don't